This is CliffCentral.com. This is Disrupt with Booming Club, powered by Two Systems. Good day and welcome to Disrupt with Mbumi Tlapo. Thank you for joining us today. If you are with us for the first time on this show, we focus really on speaking to and engaging industry experts and pioneers in the digital world and looking at how this digital transformation and digital disruption is really affecting businesses, individuals, countries and organizations throughout the world and how we can engage that topic very directly Uh, Naturally, there may be fears, there may be concerns, but there's also lots of opportunities. And to help us talk through some of the opportunities, I've got in the studio with me today the founder and CEO of Reveal Group, Ian Crouch. Ian, how are you doing? I'm doing well, thank you. Thank you for joining me. Ian, you've got a very expensive and extensive (laughs) CV that I've got in front of you, and I'm just going to pick up. Some salient points around it. You've been in the technology space for many years. I see you were at Arthur Anderson and Co., which became Accenture exactly. over the years. Yes. As a consultant <clears throat> in that space. Um, you've worked in Australia, in the UK during the eighties. Um, you've worked in the nineties with Allen and Hamilton, establishing a presence in Australia. Um, you were the first vice president for the for formation of the information technology practice in Asia. So you've kind of been in this industry for quite a few years and you've seen it evolve over many iterations. I have. Many different words, lots of jargon, lots of concepts, <laughs> lots I of have, new things. And it's a passion of mine. With the passion of yours, yes. <laughs> um, also joining us in the studio today is Peter. Peter, you've been with me previously on the show. Thank you very much for joining us. Um, Peter, how are you doing today? I'm very good, man. Thanks for having us again. Peter, you're the MD of Targetail Digital. Yes. Um, Targetail Digital has recently brought the Reveal Group into South Africa. Um, with AdCorp, basically. With the AdCorp organization, yes. As part of the broader AdCorp business, Targetail being a subsidiary, you've acquired, I believe, 50% of the Reveal Group and you're bringing their services to South Africa. 100%, yeah. So 50-50% ownership in a joint venture between our two businesses, Okay. where 50% will remain with Ian and um, his partners, and 50% with us from an AdCo perspective. From an AdCo perspective, brilliant. So the topic for discussion today is around robotic process automation, or RPA. And we will unpack it, so we're going to spend the next hour or so really unpacking the topic. But before we get into talking about that, Ian, just very briefly, um, can you please introduce yourself and just tell us a little bit about you know, your background and where you've come to be part of the Reveal Group? So my background, as you've highlighted, was predominantly in consulting. So I started my career with what was then Arthur Anderson. In the 80s, I led their financial services practice in Australia. At Booz Allen, as a strategic consulting firm, again, my focus was on IT and operations. And I ultimately, um, in the UK, worked with um, Atikani. And in the case of AT, in the case of, of uh, Booz Allen, it was predominantly white collar. Okay. In the case of Atikani, a lot of blue collar. So okay. working with companies like Rolls Royce Aerospace, General Motors, and so on. And what were you doing for them? With them and in all time? cases, it's been basically around driving efficiency. Okay. How can they become more <clears throat> reduce cost, improve quality, more efficient operations? Okay. And then, um, you know, the career obviously moved and you've now founded um, the Reveal Group with your partner yep. uh, and established it really as a, as a significant player in the RPA and uh, digital workforce space. 
Can you just talk me through, you know, the period when you decided you're going to, you know, form your own organization and what was happening? So at the time, I was the um, CIO slash COO of National Australia Bank. Okay. So National Australia Bank is one of Australia's big four banks. Okay. I had come back from the UK where I'd been working with these companies I've mentioned and also Citibank. Yes. Looked at how National Australia Bank was operating and could see the inefficiencies compared to what I'd seen overseas. So we started working at NAB on how to address those inefficiencies. <clears throat> I then concluded I was better off to leave NAB okay. and actually establish a company like Reveal okay. <clears throat> where we would really start to um, help clients as they transform. Okay. So if I take, you know, at that time, by that time, we had a view that the transformation that would happen to all companies would be underpinned with, by technology. And we sought to find those technologies. And the goal was to bring them to our clients and be able to explain to them to our clients and help our clients adopt those technologies. Okay. And we still do that today. And what year was that? So that was, we started Reveal Group in 2005. Okay. And we started working with Blue Prism in robotic process automation in 2014. Okay. So let's talk to the nine years before that. The technology landscape was vastly different, Very to, what, different. to what it is today. <clears throat> Very different. So what type of work were you doing, you know, between, you know, for those nine years from 2005, just before you took on the Blue, the Blue Prism platform? So back in 2005, if you, <clears throat> if you remember where the internet was back yes. then, by that stage, it was well established. All the standards and the protocols had now been really locked down. And we saw the opportunity to use the internet as a vehicle to help companies and manage, uh, measure and manage their workforce productivity. Okay. So our, we started by building a web-based tool that clients could use to start knowing what sort of work people were doing. Was it high value? Was it low value? What was the occurrence of quality problems, the amount of rework, the cost, all those, the amount of handoffs, the inefficiencies, and get data to support their operational improvement programs. Okay. Give me a, a, a scenario. I want to just understand it. So this web platform, how did it work? What, what would it do for an organization? <clears throat> So essentially, we had a concept of what we call a business service catalogue. Okay. So, so in a um, in a manufacturing enterprise, they would know all their products. In yes. a service enterprise, most banks don't have a catalogue of the services they provide. So our starting point was to understand that business service catalogue, and then to understand the pro. So if I understand the processes that delivered each of those services and build metrics around that process information and that we could operationalize. Okay. So in summary, we would build, we would build a, uh, for each process, we'd build the data around that process, what work steps were performed, the amount of effort required, the standard times, the skill levels, and so on. And then we would measure actual against the standard and we'd look for deviations and we'd look for areas of improvement and we'd look for where there's lots of errors or lots of rework or lots of inefficiencies uh-huh. and then help the clients drive re-engineering to help improve those processes. Fantastic. And you saw lots of results coming out of that. So typically we business. found simply by starting to measure the back office productivity and understand what people were doing and start to provide them with better coaching and better skills development and better training, you can have a significant improvement in productivity. So we've 
we would expect an uplift in productivity of 20% to 30% okay. within six to nine months. Okay. So that's massive for a bank Absolutely. or an insurance company with existing or a government resources, existing with existing people. resources. Yeah. And the goal was to engage them. The problem was a lot of people in back office operations had never been taught how to ma- how to engage with their teams. You know, today we talk about huddles and we have all the lean practices. Yes. They didn't exist back then. Do your and job pe- and keep quiet. <clears throat> so we, we introduced a lot of those practices back in 2005 on. Okay. So then, um, I guess in 2014, is it correct to say you had reached the maximum that you could drive in terms of effic- efficiencies out of people? No, no. It w- um, <clears throat> to an extent, yes. Okay. But we always had a vision that wh- we, uh, we looked at the Toyota production system and how Toyota had developed that that model and how that applied it. And we thought there were a lot of features of that model that could be applied to service industries. Okay. So really, a little bit about that model? So it's in essence, the way, I, the way I describe the Toyota production system, they focused on workforce management, workforce improvement, workforce optimization. They focused on process simplification, process standardization, and quality. Okay. And they, pro, they focused on automation, particularly robotics. And we know what robots in manufacture, car manufacturing have done. Absolutely. <clears throat> so essentially they were their core platforms. The other one was the way that Toyota engaged with their staff. <clears throat> and essentially those, those uh, components we saw as not only being applicable to the motor vehicle industry, but every industry. Okay. So we essentially started to try and take those components and look for solutions for each of them that clients could adopt. Okay, and one of those robotics in, you know, in in the automotive industry, we know robots are physical robots. Yes, in our vision, parts they assemble vehicles, etc. Exactly. In our vision, we were looking for software that did the same sort of thing. Okay, so software that did uh, mundane, repetitive, routine processing. Okay, and we found it with Blue Prism in 2014. Okay, so then let's talk from 2014. Blue Prism comes on board. You mentioned earlier that. a year later, it was featured very strongly on the Gardner Magic Quadrant yep. uh, as a leader. Was it in the leadership as a, quadrant? As a cool vendor. As a cool, cool vendor. vendor. Okay. <laughs> very nice. <laughs> up, up and vendor. Um, Which really put RPA on the map. Yes. Until then, most people had never heard of it. Blue Prism was a little company. It was based in the UK. They'd recently started to move into North America. Okay. But to most people, and certainly everyone that, we were dealing with in Australia had never heard of RPA okay. and never heard of Blue Prism. Okay. And I'm that's, that's only four years ago. Yeah. So, I've, I mean, I, I certainly hadn't heard of it either. Mm. Can we then unpack what RPA is and what it seeks to achieve? So in its simplest terms, robotic process automation is seeking to automate the repetitive processing performed by people. Okay. That's in its simplest term. So it's looking, so by definition, it's suited to repetitive processing and repetitive typically is pretty mundane. Yes. It's usually somewhat error prone and you have therefore have a lot of errors and a lot of rework. People get bored doing it when they make transposition errors, taking data from one system into another. The so-called swivel chair processing, all that is fairly low value. Um, but very highly manual work. Okay. Robotic process automation set out to automate not all, 
<clears throat> but probably somewhere between 50 and 80% of that work okay. in a, in a cross an organization. Okay. And the, the, then the challenge with the uptake, and we spoke earlier that um, you said certainly in Australia and in New Zealand you've seen a massive, uh, massive uptake of, of RPA and mm. people have got a very good understanding of it and yet here in South Africa we're kind of still evolving into it. Can you maybe speak to what you're seeing mm. in terms of where that gap is coming in? So when we took, when we, um, took on Blue Prism <clears throat> and took it to the Australian market back in 2015, we saw 2015 as essentially a year of education. Okay. So we spent more or less the whole year just educating the markers, going to clients saying, have you heard what about RPA? I see. And typically the answer was no. I see. And we would say, we'll come along and we'll actually explain it to you and we'll let you see it. Okay. And then you can form your own views as to the applicability to your organisation. Okay. So in 2015, we we met with and had those sort of conversations with between 450 and 500 companies in Australia. In one year? In one year. Okay. Sounds like fun. <laughs> <laughs> well, it was educating yeah. because people didn't understand what the technology was. Okay. And really, in the latter part of that year, they started coming to us saying, let's do a proof of concepts. Mm. So we started doing our first proof of concepts in about middle of 2015 in Australia. Now, you know, since then... It's become widely known. People who know what RPA is, I doubt if you could go to a company now in Australia and say RPA and they wouldn't know what it is. Because of this massive effort that you put in. To, and to and also because market. of the uptake and the all the hype and everything else that's gone on since then. Yeah. <clears throat> but, you know, so it's now, uh, it's certainly a known technology. Okay. I wouldn't say all companies in Australia have adopted it yet, but certainly our view was they will. Okay. When you look at RPA, we think it's not a matter of if they will apply it. It's just a matter of when they'll apply it. Absolutely. And the industries, I know banking has obviously been one of the, the leading industries yep. that you've operated in. Can you give me a sense of the type of <laughs> stuff that you, that you so, the type of use cases in banking? Yep. So we started in um, banking. And that obviously our, my background had been banking yes. and would worked in banks and we knew the issues in back offices in banks. So the obvious, and also Blue Prism was developed in the back office of Barclays. Oh, I see. Okay. So it was a natural, so it was why Blue Prism met up with us because they went to Canada and started talking to the banks and the banks were using Reveal. Okay. So that was a connection. So when we brought Blue Prism to Australia, our focus also was on the banks. We okay. saw them as the, you know, a lot of back office people, poor service, poor customer service, poor quality, you know, lots of real problems. Yes. <clears throat> There's a Royal Commission just done in Australia at the moment around banking because it still hasn't been solved. So, you know, they were an obvious place to start. Um, but, but it's not, RPA applies to any processing that is rules based. That's one absolute prerequisite. Uh -huh. And the other one is the inputs have to be digitized. Okay. Now those two criteria don't just apply to banking. So after banking, we went into telecommunications companies. Of course. We went to airlines. We went into utilities. We went into government. Then we went into um, trucking companies and transportation, into packaging companies, into brewing companies. We're at Melbourne University and starting to help education. Uh, we're in high tech. So today we're across something like 20 different industries who have adopted it. 
retailing time. Yeah, so it's basically that if there's a repetitive environment, routine tasks, you know, quite linear, I guess, to a certain extent, then there's an opportunity to look at RPA. Absolutely. Okay. If I can uh, come in. Peter, up, yeah, I want to bring you in. Uh, so, no, but just before we move off that point, because, um, you know, we sort of, we're sort of looking back to 2015 and the banks and what use cases, you know, was solved by Reveal back then. Mm. But what was it three days ago, Ian, when I locked my card? <laughs> you know? So we were at the chief digital uh, officer conference in Ravonia and um, I just had to go and talk to someone. So I left my card to a colleague and I said, you know, here's a pin, you know, just pay. I gave him the wrong pin and I was away and he tried three times and he said, your card's most probably locked. I said, no man, can't be, you know, and I just left it there. Yeah. So and two nights ago, I went out for a dinner with a customer. Bill came, wanted to pay. Only had that card there, and it was locked. Sure. It was 11 o'clock, so now I phone, try and resolve it. They can't help me. I have to phone the next morning to get a pin. And I tell Ian a story. He wasn't with me. And the next minute he says, well, that's a use case for RPA. We can teach a robot to do that in the back end right there and then. I see. So, so you know, it's we, we think back office, but there's different other areas where you can apply it. Um, um, so my, do my point to Peter there was most people look at current processes in the back office and they look to automate those processes. The example Peter's giving you is a process that doesn't exist. Yes, I see. So robotic process automation, if it's a pin that's been re- rejected yeah. three times, there's no reason why the robot shouldn't know that and shouldn't be able to send an email to Peter saying your pin's been, now been rejected three times. And it, is it you that was trying to do it? And go through some sort of verification. Verification. Yeah. Uh, and you know, in the old days, we used to reissue a new card. But these days, you can reissue a new pin. Mm-hmm. So the robot could actually reissue the new pin, and Peter could have been up and running within a few minutes after yeah. that happening. It's a totally different customer proposition. It's people... So, yes, a lot of people look at the current processes, mm. but we're talking about changing the customer experience. We're talking about rethinking how you have a, and how you interact with your customers. And inherently, you can provide significantly enhanced value to your customers. Absolutely. And that's um, what customers even want. Even in new areas. Customers without... don't want to be like Peter to find out a day later that his card actually was locked and he yeah. couldn't use it. And then you go through all that pain. And you, you have know. to ask your customer to loan you some money. <laughs> <laughs> Luckily, there's a other side of technology that the manager could come with his phone. He got the owner's uh, banking details, some separate details where he could authenticate that. And I've just made the transfer. I see. Um, so luckily, I didn't have to go to that step. Yeah. But yeah. So Peter, I just want to bring Peter into the mm. conversation. You um, uh, were part of the of, of the process of bringing the review group into South Africa. Yeah, I think right. the last the last time uh, to explain it because it originated in Australia. Yes. So I can't claim it. Mm. <laughs> okay. So Ian and the guys from Paxis in Australia hooked up off the back of a customer where they needed to work. Okay. So similar to our procurement challenges in South Africa, Australia is the same. They've got what they call panels. So if you're not on the panel, doesn't matter how good you are, you're not going to come in and do the work. Okay. So then a partnership formed between Paxis, um, which is also owned by AdCorp, um, um, and, and the Reveal Group. And as you know, if, when we started talking and we looked at the verticals that Tiger Tail was tackling, RPA was on our roadmap. Yeah. 
So it was just a fit. Okay. You know, we were working together already in Australia. Um, from Ian's perspective, they've always been high-end management consultants. And I also wanted to get into the contracting space, and which is what Paxis does in Australia. They're about a 3,000-head-count contracting business. Okay. So with that partnership formed, you know, sort of the SA thing just followed. I see. I think I just came in because I'm the only guy that maybe <laughs> understands it. <laughs> and the opportunity you see for the South African market, I mean, you've worked in this industry for a long time. You understand it, you know, better than most people. Why did you feel that there's a significant opportunity here? Th- well, for RPA or the reveal? For RPA. Look, there's a, there's a bank, APSA, for instance. They've been doing it for years, you know, most probably also, and you know, how long or when they started. So they, that's why sort of the, the leading party currently from, uh, organization who has done it, but okay. the others haven't followed. Okay. okay. But I think the biggest challenge is that because it's another buzzword, you know, everybody tries to jump onto the buzzword and they don't really have the real depth and knowledge to actually execute. So for us, you know, going into this, it was sort of, well, let's tackle this field, but when we do it, make sure that we have real capability and real IP in the back end. Mm. And that is what we have with Reveal Group. I mean, it's over four years of experience in RPA where other people are just starting. I see. Ian, you wanted to make a comment. So, well, obviously we've just come from the uh, Digital Officers Conference. Yes. And I guess to Peter's point, there's obviously banks like ABSA and there's banks like Standard Bank who have really pushed forward with RPA. Okay. But I was really interested to hear how many other companies are just starting. They're just putting their toes in the water. They're just doing the proof of concepts and all those. And I guess it sort of brought back where I think Australia was in about 2016. We were doing similar things. But we've learnt a lot in how to do it properly. There's lots of things. There's lots of... You know, the vendors are trying to sell RPA. They make it look sound very simple. They yeah. make it sound very easy and all those. And it's, it's not like that. It is a proper technology that's processing value and non-value transactions. And I guess what we've learned is that it's a real skill. It's a capability that you have to build within your organization if you're really going to deploy it properly and if you're going to get the benefits out of it and if you're going to do it at, at speed. And at the lowest possible cost. So, yeah. And, and is it is it a factor of a consulting skill? So, really about understanding the business processes and consulting on those, or is it more a factor of being able to configure technology? Where does I, I think it's predom- predominantly it's a problem solving challenge. Okay. Because despite banks or any organisation thinking they have their processes well defined, in the case of RPA, you actually have to get down to keystroke level. Sure. And when you get down to keystroke level, you find all the variations and that occur within a process that people naturally used to doing or their experience. Mm-hmm. But in the case of RPA, you've really got to get down to that level and document it. So you need people who can interact with subject matter experts, can work with them to understand what those people currently do. You need that same person also needs to be able to build an automation. And it also has to have some of these sort of IT skills of testing it and putting it into production. Okay. So it's actually a multi-skilled type of, it's quite different. It actually takes some of the best of lean. It takes some of the best of BPR. It takes some of the consulting skills. It takes some IT skills. And it's the way you wrap that into an individual 
that really makes the difference between how effective you will be. And that requires some really good training. You said to me earlier that... uh your, your, your ideal candidate would be like a gamer, a gamer. or a gaming we professional. And I recommended my 18-year-old. <laughs> <laughs> and you know, the honest answer, the way we came across that was really because my son had just completed his secondary education. Okay. He wanted to take a gap year. And we thought, well, that's great, but you, know, you need some money to fund it. If you, know, you can come and do the Blue Prism Foundation training, okay. if you can demonstrate aptitude for it, then we'll employ you. And, you know, he loves gaming. He spends all his life. He spends too much time gaming. He came along, did the Blue Prism training, did very well, started working at National Australia Bank. You know, he's, he just turned 19 at the time, but he turned out to be a whiz. So he ended up doing his gap year going around the world, different companies doing Blue Prism implementations. Fantastic. So, <laughs> so I see your eyes and, 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 and I know. So your 18 year old son uh, could well be a candidate. Well, nephew, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Send him to us to talk. And to no, but I know him for me. So I know his eyes there because the thing is, you know, we've got big challenges in this country Absolutely. and unemployment is one of them. Absolutely. And if I listen to this, you know, that's almost that. At the second, at, at sort of past university, the people that get the opportunity to go there, they eventually find jobs. Mm. But there's this big untapped area where people leave schools and they don't have an opportunity. Mm. So hearing something like this is actually really exciting. rewarding and exciting yeah. to, to think of the possibilities to take people with the right aptitude. Um, and whether they were gamers that played games throughout the entire high school mm. as good use cases or candidates for mm. RPA. Mm. It's amazing. And I think for me, it also just gives us a different spin on the jobs conversation because the one side we can look at it and say robots are taking away jobs, <clears throat> but I like to hear tangible use cases about how we're able to create opportunities mm-hmm. on the back of that. You know, so something like this that says <clears throat> you don't have to have a five-year degree at a top university to be able, that's why I asked the question, is it a factor of many years of experience of consulting? Is it a technical skill? Because once it's something that people can quickly learn and grasp, then it does create opportunities. So when we started, obviously, there was no point going to the market because there's no one with RPA skills. Mm. So we started building those RPA skills within our business. And then we realized we needed to build the training materials to bring on more people so we could scale. So over time, we've developed a complete set of all the training materials and all the best practices with the goal that we can actually take people, to your point, who have come from any discipline. So we get some of our workforce is people with a mathematics background, engineering backgrounds, IT backgrounds, okay. business backgrounds, arts backgrounds. There's no... And we still haven't found any particular <laughs> discipline that we would say is the ideal candidate other than gaming. <laughs> the gaming thing, I sort of overlaps all these. Yes. But it's that problem solving and it's the ability to actually really think quickly and have be very you know, very good at all these different skills and they can be taught and they can be taught quickly. So we would you know, we can have people who have never touched Blue Prism, never heard of RPA, we can introduce them to RPA and have them to the point where they can work on projects within four weeks. Wow. And within four weeks, and then the other thing that's really cool about RPA is we implement in what we call sprints, and the typical sprint is about eight weeks, start to finish. 
So they get a lot of satisfaction because it's really quick. They yeah, and they get a lot of to see an end-to-end very quickly. Yes. So they get to see the outputs. You know, uh, might have to work on nine-month projects yeah, as a junior yeah. to yeah. eventually get somewhere. You know? Thousands of people and you never really see what you added yeah. to, to that equation. And so you've got this real feedback loop because the clients are so happy and the people that we work with in the back offices are happy because we're taking away that sort of mundane, repetitive processing that's pretty boring so they can actually spend their time on other higher value work and interacting with customers and the things that we think they really should be doing. Yeah. I want to then t- take the conversation to the discussion around uh, AI um, and the <clears throat> concepts of machine learning and deep learning that form a subset of that. Um, and naturally, when we talk robots, I guess the conversation would lean in that direction. Um, Peter, you put it quite nicely um, earlier around where the digitization fits into that equation. But, yeah, I would like you to start. And just you said there's the three layers so, with IT. So we, RPA think, of, and we think of three layers of automation. Yes. And, and in most of our clients, we actually don't call it robotic process automation, by the way. In what most clients, we call it process automation. Okay. Because IT is process automation. RPA, as it's called, is process automation. <clears throat> so we, you know, it takes some of the you know, emotion out of the term. Yes. <clears throat> but we think you know, the starting point for most organisations is to use traditional IT to automate as much as they can. The reality is it's not cost effective or they don't have the resources or the money to, to automate everything. Okay. So the, the consequence is you have a legacy of people doing processing. And what RPA, which sits on top of the um, IT stack, uh, RPA can come along and actually automate a lot of that processing, not all of it. So typically, like with IT, you won't automate 100% of processes. Yes. Um, we typically look for about 80%. Okay. Because the other 20% will be the exceptions or there'll be low incidents of happening. And like with IT, it's probably still, even though RPA is much lower cost, it still may not be worth automating that processing. Okay. The way the blue prism, to come to your question, we see the, the layer on top of that being AI and cognitive. And so the way Blue Prism describe it, they talk about AI and cognitive as being the brains, the okay. head and the brains, and they talk about RPA being the arms and the legs. I see. And the two being complementary. And it's not a bad analogy. Yes, yes. Because that's the way we think of it too. Okay. And so, so, so I just want to build it up um, piece by piece. So give me a sense of which types of processes would sit with the traditional IT layer. Right, so if if I'm a if I'm a CIO of or digital office yep. and, and my organisation, I just want to get a sense of which so, are the aspects that would sit with my traditional IT, then which aspects then stack on top of that with process automation or RPA, and then which areas you'd see falling into the digital realm. Just so, so that you have a sense. I think in most cases, most clients have started with IT and all your product systems, your CRM systems, all those ERP systems, and so on. Got you. <coughs> they are all logical systems to be automated using IT. I got you. And you can go further than that. What's happened with IT, as we know, is then along came the internet, and then along came mobile, and there's been a whole lot of other technologies that IP that IT has had to take on board and support. Yes. So <clears throat> IT still will cover that whole spectrum of systems in an organisation. Where RPA comes along and is complementary is the processing that's left that fits that rules-based category okay. is a candidate for RPA. I see. So we would typically see that as a layer that sits on top of IT that we're trying to automate. Okay. 
And then Peter, they're moving it into the digital space. So once we've stacked up the first, you got the difficult one. No, not really, because I can talk to the previous uh, one where we spoke about the pin being locked. Okay. So Ian mentioned the robot can send me an email. That's a pretty bad uh, user experience. Yeah. So if you think of what you can put digitally on top of that to do that, to make that interaction with that process to get it reset, maybe it's feature built into that. Um, physical mobile application, you know, because what is di- digitization essentially? It's moving away from uh, um, the old way of doing things into this new way of work and new way of disrupting customers and sort of changing the customer experience. So for me, really, it's the difference between, well, email can maybe classed as digital, but not for us out there. That's the consumers of it. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Okay, I'm with you. Um, at the conference, I'm sure yeah. there was a lot of conversation, a lot of debate, um, a lot of questions asked. I want to get a sense of what was the overarching theme. So when you presented um, a piece at the conference, can you take me through the essence of what you spoke about and then what was the core question my, that you felt? Before I answer that question, I think my overall takeaway from the conference, I was really impressed okay. with just the amount of things companies here in South Africa are doing across the whole spectrum of technologies. Okay. You know, some really there's some people doing some really cool things, and I think some very advanced things. It's very encouraging. Yeah. I'm very, I'm yeah, very encouraging. To, to hook on to that, I must just say that the, the level of skill that was at that conference was amazing. I mean, of the 170-odd C-suites and maybe complementary roles within the organizations of those people that were there was just phenomenal. Um, some of the stuff I didn't even understand when, <laughs> when some of the, the data science and the machine learning uh, uh, people came on board and AI, yeah. when they start talking vectors and calibrating uh, algorithms, you know, you just lose them. But um, but it's yes. fascinating to hear, to sit and listen and to talk pe- to people <laughs> and challenge the status quo and then just hear how much knowledge is in South Africa. Yeah, that's and I mean, knowing of, that those the, people are here. Yeah, and yeah. the amount of innovation. I joked to Peter, when I was in the UK, I used to joke that if I really wanted something done, I'd look for a South African, an Australian, or a New Zealander. And that's because, where your company is today. Because those companies, those countries, are, have got lots of people who are very innovative and have to be innovative. Mm, mm. And, you know, and I guess I had it reinforced at the conference when I just sat there listening to what people were doing and what they were trying to do. And how far they'd come. Um, you know, not all in robotics. I would say yeah. in, in the area of RPA, it's probably not as advanced mm. in some of the other countries, but in some of the other areas, particularly some of the AI and cognitive and some of the other um, uh, <laughs> technologies, you know, I, I thought South Africa was ahead of some of the things we're doing in Australia. That's great. So, I mean, last year, last year at Gardner, um, you know, they were sort of putting the case out on the scarcity of people in AI, data science, and machine learning yes, going I forward. I saw that graphic. They yes, did remember. In New just, York, if you're looking for a Just security. bubbled out like this. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And what, I, what we saw over these three mm. days, these guys are there. They're there. I mean, we spoke to Christian, um, who's now the chief digital officer for MyBox, for instance. Mm. That the, the amount of applied AI that they're putting onto their value proposition to change the customer's experience is unreal. Fantastic. Yeah. yeah. I, after talking to them, I might say, you know, I, I might want to get off Facebook and Pinterest <laughs> and all these other stuff. <laughs> and to that point, an interesting thing is because they say the trend is, um, is, or regulations coming around that, that you and I can select to, to, to delete ourselves. But the term is used delete, but it's, um, it's more like to, uh, um, 
unadd yourself basically from that ecosystem. But the, the data science and the guys, the, the PhD and the doctors that were there said, if you look at the ecosystem, it is impossible to you're, delete you. You're, you're you can never delete it. So many it. areas. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's too yeah. far gone. It's too far gone, yeah. yeah. So, Ian, you were sharing but, but about I, your conference. But yes. I think what I learned and what, I, what my experience, that's great and the things they're doing, but we think RPA is very complementary to that. Okay. Because to my the earlier discussion, if you've got your IT and then you have your RPA and then you've got all your cognitive and, and all your AI, <clears throat> RPA plays quite an important role. Okay. And it's sort of a – I guess my sense is it's sort of a gap that South African companies are only starting to fill now. Okay. So the discussion certainly I've been having with Peter is how can we bring all of our learnings because we've gone through this. You mm. know, we've tried things, some work, some haven't. <clears throat> we've now developed all the best practices within Blue Prism, best practices around how you deploy RPA, the skills that you need, the training that you need. So our focus has been very much how can we leverage what we've done over the last four years <clears throat> and bring it to South Africa and then let and expedite the, the the journey for people with it now on their RP, with RPA. Okay. So let's talk then to, um, firstly, typically the role that would engage an RPA type of project. Is it coming out of IT? Is it business oh, operations? Gee, that's, a, that's a really good question. Yeah. <clears throat> I would say, <clears throat> interestingly, uh, in most of our um, clients who are sort of non-financial ser- in the financial services and with telcos and utilities and so on, it's typically the COOs. Okay, so operations. It's operations, mm-hmm. back office people. Okay. In other industries, it's typically people in shared services. So okay. the shared services, HR, finance, processes. <clears throat> processing is yeah. those people. Yeah. In some cases, it'll be IT, <clears throat> um, where you've got the more innovative and where IT is taking a more of a leadership role in the company, we'll okay. see it's BIT. In other organizations, IT is so busy trying to keep the wheels on the on the bus yes. uh, that it'll be, <laughs> the, uh, could be either their innovation labs or it could be either their operations people. Now, without wanting to be controversial, where, <laughs> where is it most likely to succeed? So when it sits in which function in the organization, I don't make it about a role, where do, where do you see that you get the best traction and success coming I out think, of it? <clears throat> certainly our experience is it's not so much where you start. It's more, it is a change program. It's a transformation program. Okay. And like any transformation or change program, you need executive sponsorship. So the most impo- one of the most important criteria for success is executive buy-in, executive sponsorship of the program. Okay. Now, <clears throat> when you've got that, you then need a sponsor. So whether that sponsor, who's prepared to give it a shot, whether that sponsor is in a back office or whether that sponsor is in finance or whether that sponsor is in HR, to a fair extent doesn't really matter. Okay. It's more important from our point of view that they actually try it. They get to actually do, call it a proof of concept. We don't like the term. Um, I prefer the term proof of value yes. where people actually do something very small. They use the technology and they actually see it in situ. Okay. Uh, because once they do that, they get to understand how fast it can be 
implemented. You know, in the case of Blue Prism, you don't need people who do programming. <clears throat> all the code, all the logic is documented essentially in what looks like Visio. Okay. So they get to see that you can use business analysts with proper training to do this. And they get to see it interact with their own system. So all of a sudden, instead of being something that's an abstract concept, it now becomes real. And when they start to show it to other people in the organisation, our experience is they start to say, gee, I could use that here or I could do this or I could do that. Okay. So the short answer to your question is really, most importantly, you need the executive buy-in. Our most successful clients are where the boards are really behind it. Okay. Peter, yeah, I yeah. think, has mentioned computer share. Yes. We were brought into computer share by the chairman. He'd heard about it. He thought it was the technology they should be looking at, and he was the one that actually went to the CEO, and he was the one, he together with the CEO were the ones that really promoted the program within the company. I see. In conversation at the at the conference, to come back to that again, I mean, we we didn't touch any person there that wasn't from a different area. So CEO, CEO, CIO, Chief mm-hmm. Digital Officer. And that, that has that as part of their conversation, even marketing that added part of their conversation. Okay. Um, I think I, I agree with you and it's the drivers who's driving it is important, you know. Um, and at the end of the day, it is a, it is a technology that, that has a bottom line effect. Yes. And a very yes. good one. Okay. So, so in the, in the process of, of implementing and executing it, the money guys are going to look at this because they, you know, sort of going to say, yes, you know, look at the savings we're getting from this. The tech guys are going to say, Jesus, really cool playing with robots. So I think there's different people that will get excited, but at the end of the day, I think it's business, um, more than so anything else. So our experience is it's best if it's business led. But IT also have to be engaged. You've got to get your right IT platform to support your RPA program. If you don't get that right, it'll be really tough to have a really efficient RPA program. You won't be able to scale. And you won't be able to scale. So you've got to get, you've got, the business has to work in collaboration with IT, but they need to do that anyway. Okay. So it's not. It's a tough thing, eh? Yeah, yeah. (laughs) It's tough, but, you know, it can be, but once you've got the infrastructure in place, the only other real interaction with, with IT is, is through change management. So okay. you have to put in place similar change management practices for RPA that IT already have in place for IT. Okay. And the two have to be synced. <clears throat> so okay. you know, that is another role where IT gets involved. Then, okay, so I'm, I'm, I'm seeing the executive sponsorship, yep. uh, which, which gives us, um, I guess, the support we need to drive something because it's got mm-hmm. broad reach impact. Um, I can see how we start to play around with it, whether it's in a sandpit, proof of value. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, the missing piece for me then is uh, if, if, I'm, if I'm in an organization, I'm kind of asking myself, where do I start? You know, where do I start to look to leverage this technology? Because you're telling me about bottom line benefits, but those can come from so, so many areas. So in many clients, we will either do a number of things. We will, depending on the industry, we will actually give clients examples, case to, use cases in their industry that we've done. Okay. So that helps them to think Naturally about where they can where start yeah. to look for the opportunities. Okay. We also show them the criteria that we're looking for for um, processing which will be good candidates for automation. Okay. So once we explain, you know, we're looking for something that's repetitive, we're looking for something with high volume, we're looking for something that's not too complex, <clears throat> yeah, and so on, we can give them those criteria and we'll say to them, you know, you guys go and think about some of these processes. And typically they'll come back with maybe five or ten of them. 
So another way is we then say, okay, we'll take those five or ten and we'll now show you. We'll work with you and we'll look at each of them. And as we work through them, we'll show you which are good candidates for automation and which ones aren't. And we'll explain why they're good candidates and we'll also explain why they're not good candidates. So you'll learn how to start assessing processes for, for bit to be automated. Okay. So our goal all the way through is to upskill the client. The, every, the more we can teach the client all these capabilities, the better. Okay. So, you know, so it can, you can start in different spots, um, but they are two techniques that we've used. And it works well. <clears throat> and it works well. Okay. And the costs typically, if, I mean, are these, you know, we, we know ERP projects can go into hundreds of millions of, of rands <laughs> <Yeah>. or dollars. <clears throat> yeah. Um, these types of projects, I mean, are these significant investments that, that are going to be made in this space? So the short answer is no. That's one of the real attractions of RPA. <clears throat> so the real benefit of RPA, RPA is leveraging the investment that you've already made in your IT. Okay. So you're not making any systems changes at all. You're not, you're leveraging all the same security features and all the things that you have in place for people equally apply to RPA. So essentially with RPA, what you're doing is documenting the processes and you're documenting the interactions with the particular systems. Okay. And that's what we call an automation. So we would expect one person could build an automation, as I said, in about eight weeks. So okay. your cost, so, really quick so your cost, taking yeah. your cost to answer your cost, so you could have, you know, in yes, we have squads, and typically they work in squads, okay. and the squad might be five people or so, but they're each doing their own one or two process automations. Okay. So even if you've got a team of five people, you know, and that's starting to get to be a big squad. So it's, we're not talking. You know, in my days with Anderson Consulting, we had 100, 200, 300 people on a project. Yeah. Here we're talking mm. about five people and we're talking about maybe eight weeks or give or take to do the implementation. Okay. So by definition, it's very low cost. It's also the model is different because as you, as you go into that process with a customer, um, you, you almost take, not like, most IT projects are because it's not because to prove the fact that it's actually business as you move through it the the, the client actually himself starts doing the yeah. automations yeah. Uh, I see so, so it, it becomes something that is iterative within the organization and you, yeah. and you just do what, what we would call a wave or a wave after wave after wave in sort of every 8 to 10 weeks of automations. Okay. But to give you an example, one of our clients in Australia, because we keep benchmarks on every every part of this, because the benchmarks help us improve. But one of our clients in Australia, we had one consultant, eight weeks, and we automated the work of about 45 people. Wow. So if you find a very high-volume process, which was manually intensive, you know, one person can automate it very quickly. But, you know, that's the wow factor. They're not all like it. Most are not. Yes. Most are more where you're automating the work of one or two people or whatever it might be. I see. But they accumulate. If you're, if you're doing that, you know, eight weeks, eight weeks, eight weeks. You can quickly get to you, significant numbers yeah. there. Yeah. And that's, I guess, another factor of that because there's a lot of discussion around the impact on, on, on the workforce and what's going to happen to, you know, are we going to replace uh, people with robots? Because the way it's implemented, you're not implementing massive big programs. You're implementing incrementally and you're, taking the, you're automating that work incrementally. 
So you're releasing people, but that makes it easier to redeploy them. Absolutely. It makes it easier mm. to retrain like them. Big bang. So you know, we think clients need to look at these programs as like five-year programs, maybe more. Okay. <clears throat> and just take it, and all you're doing is incrementally, and you're building your capability, and you just work through automating these things. And through that, you're reskilling and re- you're re-skilling, redeploying those redeploying people. Them. No, you'll yeah. probably still end up having some redundancies. Yes. But I don't think we haven't seen, you know, we've read all the scare stories and all the things in some of the mm, magazines. Yeah. We haven't seen that okay. at our clients. And we've done some pretty big clients and we're doing some pretty big automations. Okay. And is it in line with, you know, the, the latest uh, trends around technology? So we speak of cloud. I know you mentioned mo- mobility <coughs> earlier on. Uh, so for customers that are really, and, and I've seen a lot of, of, of organizations aggressively looking at how they engage the cloud world. We know particularly in South Africa, <clears throat> the big OEMs are bringing their hyperscale yeah. public platforms into the country. Uh, does this space link into that in a significant way? Uh, it does. Um, <clears throat> we see cloud more helping with the IT <clears throat> layer. We're seeing all companies will move into the cloud. It's just the economics and the way that the the, the technology that's in the cloud is so compelling yeah. that we think it's all going to move into the cloud. As it moves into the cloud, we've got to also take the RPA with it. Yes. So we're now starting to, in the last year or so in Australia, we've started working with clients who are, and it's not just one cloud, it's multi-cloud. Yeah. So we've now got clients who have got their own internal data centers, they've got Amazon, you know, they've got Azure, they've got whatever, and we have to make the robots work within that entire infrastructure. Yes. And that yes. comes back to my earlier comment about getting your infrastructure right. You've really got to design it and get it implemented to support these technologies. Okay. But once it's done, it can work very effectively in the cloud and across the cloud. Okay. Peter, your inputs to that? What thoughts on that? Yeah. What are you seeing in South Africa in particular? You've spoken to quite a few CIOs. Yes. I know you you, you get very excited. (laughs) Um, The the thing is that the, the, the conversation of cloud is there, but if I look at, you know, this technology or this as a function or as a new uh, um, way of aut- automating things, um, and I listen to the infrastructure that um, that Ian's referring to. Yeah. I can't help but to think that the power sits if it's on premise for this as it is, because you really need that. They you can't. I can't see the latency that exists currently until those data centers are. Um, like what you said earlier, some of the guys moving into the country. Yeah. I don't think you will necessarily be able to capitalize as much. Um, as when it is on premise. So I think it's a, uh, mm. something that's going to be a discussion point going forward. I don't think it will stop or hinder the way that you make the investment because, um, like Ian said, you know, at, at some point, we didn't know how to do this many years ago. We are now doing it very well. We as humans will, will just evolve. We'll just, you know, sort of get with what needs to be done to make it work. Yeah. The one point I would make is that we tell, we advise clients stay within your firewalls. Okay. So that's complexity. We, if you once you start to go outside your firewalls, and you, and RPA can go outside your firewalls, but once you start to do that, you open up all the security threats and you open up a whole lot of extra complexity, which we just advise our clients at the moment to avoid. Mm. You will have that in the cloud, but yeah. uh, and you know you've got world class security on it. But yeah. still, I think I think this is something that's built for speed. Um, Maybe go back. Let's let's say, would I be able to do it in eight eight week waves? 
if I was doing it in the cloud currently? Or is it on my physical environment uh, okay. that I'll get that speed? So I think those are the questions. Man. So it's an area that still needs to, to evolve. And, and it's, evolving, it's evolving pretty it's evolving, quickly. Yeah. <clears throat> and so far, we haven't found any major inhibitors that have prevented us from putting RPA into any technology. Yeah. And that's one of the other cool things about Blue Prism. You know, we've got, we've still, I don't know about you guys here, but in Australia, we've still got a lot of banks with green screens. Yeah, no, we didn't. We've got everything from green screens right out the other, the, the latest technologies. Yes. And the beauty about the Blue Prism software, it can interact with all those technologies. We haven't found a technology anywhere at any kind that we can't interact with. Fantastic, yeah. fantastic. Gents, we're going to wrap up cool. our conversation. And, I mean, this is particularly interesting for me. I've got a lot of questions I could ask. Uh, before we conclude, um, I'm going to start with you, Ian. Um, the... The ability to disrupt or to evolve with this RPA space, because, you know, disruption is always something that's on the minds of <clears throat> chief digital officers, CIOs, CEOs. Is this an area that enables disruption? Is this an area that enables you to do what you're doing currently better? Where do you see it? I think it does both. Okay. Talk, I to, think me, it, talk to me about I that. think it helps you. Certainly helps you in terms of automating and providing services better. But I also think it's, it enables a lot of other services and to, to move the boundaries of the organization outside and to take on other and do it at a low cost and do it quickly. Okay. So in terms of disruption and to Peter's point, integrating with all these other technologies, you can do it really quickly. And it's not, you know, if you're trying to do it with traditional IT, it take forever. Yeah. Using RPA. Yeah. So we use RPA for integration, channel integration, technology integration. We use RPA for data, data quality, data validation. You know, we use it for <coughs> just um, customer cleansing. So it's... Digitization of documents yeah. using other... So all those things are really not what you would typically think of as rules-based processing. They're really important, though, <coughs> To disruption. Absolutely. If you want, if you've got to have data that's good, it's got to be quality and so on. And robots can help you. Absolutely. And uh, your then definition of disruption within that context, how would you define disruption? Oh, my dis my view of disruption was seen in a, when I was, <coughs> I guess in my early days of consulting, you had a bank or you had a whatever the company might be, and you had a very defined industry that it was in. Yes. You know, that's gone. Companies now, you know, it's hard to define some of our clients what industry they're in. They're right across a spectrum of providing these different services and, you know, the boundaries have changed because the technologies enable them to actually move those boundaries and compete in industries that historically they probably would never have done. Yeah. So all of a sudden we're seeing these technologies open up opportunities for companies. So it's closing down some. But it's also opening up a lot of others. And I guess at the conference, you know, the... Arman, Arman Singh actually spoke to that from MTN. He said that they, they asked him the same question. And he said, well, you know, there's two things that ski for him currently that he sees. He sees industries like, um, um, clashing. So, okay. And the second thing is value compression. So those two things that's happening, you know, is spinning off this disruption. If you look at, if you look at just MTN's case, I mean, they presented probably five or ten very quickly, but they're incubating more than a hundred startups in Africa yeah. doing non-telco things. Yeah. I mean, they got an Uber equivalent service, I think, running in Saudi. Mm -hmm. That's 850,000 trips a day. Yeah. 
So they, I mean, I don't know how many they've got. I think upwards of a hundred um, subsidiary mm. startups, you know, within the Amazon yeah. group. It's a lot of them that are not high profile, but yeah. very and significant <coughs> in their markets. And we're, markets we're seeing those. What in Australia mostly they're called innovation labs, yeah. <coughs> but yeah, they're, and they're working with the startups. And all, most companies have them, and they're all trying to engage with the startups in their particular areas, doing exactly the same mm. thing. So. You know, you look at these big companies and realize how many different startups they're working with, and you realize just the growth of startups yeah. is phenomenal. Fantastic. And what they can do and how quickly they can do is even more phenomenal. Yes. So you just, you know, so disruption just has to happen. It's just. And we have to connect disruption in two ways of looking at it. You know, we always, when you talk disruption, we talk tech, digitization, digital, et cetera. Yeah. I mean, one of the other use cases on the MTN side was that. From an e-commerce online platform, their top-selling product is diapers. That's phenomenal. And they deliberately pushed it in that direction because if I sell you a cell phone, I only see you once every two years or once every three years on my digital platform, my e-channel yes. or e-commerce platform. Diapers you need daily, weekly. Yeah. So you're back there every day. I've got you at least for four or five years. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, so that's also a disruptive, a, a disruption that happened, but it's not Based on any tech, yeah, it's absolutely. Somebody absolutely. said, "Let's let's challenge it's the blurring of lines." I mean, yes. I thought MTN would be interested in diapers. It's really <laughs> that merging and that blurring right. of, yeah. of industry lines. And then the final word will come from you, Ian. Then um, you are engaging your business um, in South Africa now yep. with with through AdCorp and Targetail. But you've always had, I guess, a connection to to South Africa and Africa. You've said, you know, yep. if you're looking for innovation, come here. So, what would you be then your vision uh, going forward for for the country and the continent? Well, that's a good question. <clears throat> I think the most important thing is going to be to adopt these technologies. <clears throat> I think it's going to be to build the skills. And I think at South Africa and the conversations even with Peter is that we can start to use some of the skills from here in other geographies. Fantastic. So it's not only <clears throat> growing the economy here. I think it's totally changing the skill set here. But I think it's also starting to get think a lot more globally than perhaps and, and what the opportunities are. As I said, you know, RPA is everywhere, mm. and all these technologies. Mm. And if South Africa is in the lead on a number of them, which it is, it's a matter of how yeah. does South Africa exploit that leadership position. In many ways, the same way within Reveal, we're trying to exploit our leadership position in RPA by taking it globally. So I just see it being a similar sort of uh, journey. <clears throat> but the opportunities in the, the, in the world today just phenomenal. It's in, in my entire career, I've never seen anything like it. I've never seen the pace of change. I've never seen the transformation that's going on now. And I can only see it going faster, not slower. Fantastic. Thank you very much. Ian, thank you for joining me. Ian is thank the you. MD of the Reveal Group, who are now uh, in a joint venture with AdCorp. Um, Peter, which you've joined me on the show before, you're the MD of Targetail Digital, based in South Africa, but also with hooks into Australia and New Zealand, if yeah. I'm not mistaken. Thank you both for joining me today. I've really enjoyed the conversation. Thank you for listening to Disrupt with Mbumin Tlapo on Cliff Central. Uh, it's been another engaging conversation, and we look forward to hearing from you. To our sponsors, T-Systems, for making the platform available to us. Thank you very much. And we'll see you again next time on Disrupt with Mbumi. Have a good day. This is Disrupt with Mbumi Tlapo, powered by T-Systems. This is cliffcentral.com.